1: Hey, everybody, welcome back to Rocks Across the Pond. It's a curling podcast coming to you from Richmond, Virginia. My name is Ryan McGee, and joining me as always in Southampton, England, is Jonathan Havercroft. Jonathan, how are you today?
0: I'm good. When is this? This is late April.
1: Yeah, we are now, yeah. Uh
0: (laughs) (laughs) But it's not late April. (laughs)
1: <laughs> That's correct. Uh, due to family and work commitments, we are recording our Women's Preview on Sunday, April 4th, Easter. Uh, but we are not going to release this episode until probably a couple of weeks. But uh, due well, to due to various commitments, we're recording it on the 4th of April.
0: I'm just going to assume that the pandemic is over by now. I, yeah. And everything is wonderful.
1: Yeah, in the future, everything is great. Crowds are allowed back. Everyone is vaccinated. That's what the Easter Bunny brought us in the basket is vaccines and he took the masks. That's what, that, that's what I assume happens now. That's how it works, right?
0: I took it and I was fine. I didn't die. I'm still here.
1: Good. Yeah. Because now we can record the Women's Worlds preview.
0: <laughs> All right. It's good. Let's go.
1: So this is my favorite tournament of the year. One, you have the international element, which makes it interesting to me as a non-Canadian. So the U.S. is in it, which is great. And also, I think it's just infinitely deeper than the men's worlds. On the men's side, I mean, you've had six different winners in 61 years coming into this season. And on the women's side, you've had nine different winners in 41 years. Plus, I'm actually able to watch it, unlike the slams. So while the slams might be deeper, as in you have one through 12, the twelve best teams in the world, depending on depending on the slam. I don't know. I think this is. I think this is the deepest tournament. Women's worlds is, and it's the most interesting to me, and it's my favorite one to watch.
0: Yeah, I agree. I, th- I think it's. I think I would say it's deeper than the Scotties. I still think the is a bit deeper than the than worlds. World. Although they're getting they're getting close. I'd say whereas Can- Canada men are normally the favorite or co-favorite in the men's worlds, I don't think that's necessarily the case, given that. Canadian women actually have not won that often in the last decade. And certainly, actually, the Swiss are kind of a favorite. I'd say perennially.
1: Yeah, they've won five of the last eight women's worlds that have been competed, and four different skips among among those winners. So, yeah, I would say I would say they're they're probably maybe the deepest country of the last decade, and definitely the most successful on the women's side here in the last decade.
0: Most successful internationally, I'd say their top four to five teams runs head-to-head against Canada's top four to five women's teams.
1: This is Women's Worlds that we're talking about, and it will be run here at the end of April into May. They're at the bubble in Calgary. Originally, this was scheduled to be held in Switzerland, but then the Women's World Championship was canceled and then moved to the Calgary Bubble. Uh, What makes this interesting is you have six teams who will participate in two Grand Slam events just prior to the start of this tournament. So whereas with the Briar and the Scotties and the Men's World's you really had no idea what half of these teams were going to do because you hadn't seen them all year. You're going to get a good look at six of the 14 teams that are in this field coming into the start of women's worlds.
0: Yeah, so the, and that, that'll also serve as a tune-up, which I think's good too. Hopefully that'll improve the quality of play because some of the other bubble events, the early week especially, the, the shot making has been a bit more hit and miss. But um, perhaps with a couple of slams under their belt and time on the surface, that'll improve the quality of the event too.
1: And we will talk about that more later in this preview, just like the men's world championship teams who finish in the top six and qualify for playoffs will also secure a spot at the Beijing Olympics. If China is one of the top six and they make the playoffs, they will not add, they will not take the seventh place team because China is already in as the host. So, top six teams qualify have to make the the playoffs to qualify for Beijing. If you finish seventh and China's in playoffs, you're still going to the Olympic qualification event. So anyone who does not make playoffs at this event will head to the OQE, which is currently scheduled for December 5th through 10th. And there they will be joined by qualifiers from the open entry pre-Olympic qualifier, which is currently scheduled for October 23rd through 30th. Jonathan, do you want to get into the teams?
0: Yes, I do.
1: We're going to go alphabetical order, I have decided, which means that we will start with Canada. Canada has won Women's World 17 times, the last time coming in 2018, which was Jennifer Jones in North Bay. By winning her second consecutive Scotties, Carrie Anderson does, in fact, get to get her first chance to participate in Worlds. By the time Women's Worlds rolls around, this team will be very used to the Calgary Bubble. In addition to winning the Scotties, all four team members played in the mixed doubles championships, with Anderson, Sweeting, and Burchard qualifying for playoffs. They are also scheduled to play in the two Grand Slams that we mentioned. Is there such a thing as too much time in the bubble, Jonathan?
0: I, I don't think it matters for Team Anderson because they've got gaps in between. Right? So. It, it kind of works out well for them. They kind of go in, get some time out, go back in, get some time out. So I think it has no impact on them.
1: But with quarantine rules in Manitoba, I don't think that they were able to go home. They may have like gotten an Airbnb and actually gotten to leave the four-point Sheridan, but I don't think they got to go home.
0: Well, hopefully Val has shown them around Alberta. <laughs> That'd be a nice thing to do if I was if, like if I was a teammate in Second Alberta, I'd want my Alberta native teammate to show me around.
1: They're all going to be able to write a a, a travel book about Calgary. They are going to be Calgary travel experts by the time this is all done.
0: Yeah, it's, uh... or at
1: least know or at least know the best places to get uh to get carry out or delivery in Calgary by the time this is all finished.
0: When I lived in Calgary, Earl's was the place. I don't, is Earl's still a thing in Calgary? I don't know.
1: Why are you restaurant. asking me that? So we're asking everyone, anyone listening to this, if you're in Calgary, does Earl's still exist and is it good? That's what Jonathan's asking because I know he's not asking me.
0: This is my culinary taste at 21 in 1996, so things may have changed.
1: All right, we're going to move on to China. China has one world championship to their name coming back in 2009. This is a young team skipped by Han Yu, and Han Yu skipped her team to the gold medal at the 2019 Pacific Asia Curling Championships. We don't see a lot of them, but in my opinion, we will soon because I I think this team will eventually be a slam team. However, there's... A lot more to learn about them. So let's learn more about them right now. We were fortunate to talk to their coach, Marco Mariani, while they were in China preparing for Worlds. And he's going to give us more information on this team. So let's hear from Marco right now. We are joined today by Marco Mariani, and he is currently part of the coaching staff for the Chinese curling federation. He was also a member of the 2006 Italian Olympic team. He played lead for Joel Retornez at that tournament. So Marco, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Uh, thank you for inviting me on your podcast.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. And let's let's kind of start with with your background because um, it's really interesting. Because you were you were a professional hockey player at one point. You played. Uh, you represented Italy uh, in hockey, and then you got into curling. Can you just um, start with, you know, where you're from originally, what it was like growing up there, and and how did you first get into curling?
2: yeah but uh, my story is about uh, that's kind of sport of curling is very uh, interesting because my father was uh, one of the first player participate for italy at the world championship in i think 1963 regina canada and uh, that's that's why curling was in my blood but uh, you know in cortina i come from cortina d'ampezzo It's next venue for the olympic games 2026 um, but i start with the hockey and the I take curling like a second sport or like hobby because in that period when I started to play curling was uh, in Italy was not really professional and that's why I prefer to turn on hockey and uh, I was a professional hockey player until twenty eight years old and I play in a division in Italy and I play for uh, uh, all the junior national team and uh, I was in line to go to the Olympic with hockey but uh, I do something, uh, we can say stupid things, I fight with our referee, and that's why I was banded for three four mile, months, and that's why I lose my chance to go to the
1: Olympic with hockey. Uh, yeah, that'll get you, that'll take you off the fast track to the Olympic team, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: But uh, when I have, uh, I still to play curling when I have hockey, uh, hockey professional player, but uh, you know. I repeat, in Italy it was not very serious sport at that moment, and uh, for me it was quite easy to be into the national team because my uh, physical level background was very good, and uh, uh, we can we can say it was not was not easy, but my sport attitude was bring me easy inside the national team because in Italy in that period was a selection, and uh, I am already play skip for my club team there, and we I go to the in the Italian championship every time to the medal. Uh, silver, bronze, gold, and uh, in that case, l- the hockey uh, career let me easy. No, I, wanna, I don't want to say easy, let me more um, uh, put me in the put me in the right the position to be into the team.
1: Yeah, and you wound up playing uh, lead for Joel, as we said. Yeah. Uh, what was it like representing your your country on home soil, like you did in, in two thousand six, and to do as well as you guys did in that tournament?
2: Yeah, I remember we beat the uh, uh, skip. I uh, I think very famous as now I joke. I know him is uh, a and uh, we win that game during the competition, the qualification uh, round robin. And in Italy, it was like a, a big success, like a television. All the network find us and uh, fell of us, and that was an easy period for us during the Olympic game. But uh, the years before, I was in. Um, uh, uh, Victoria Highland, and uh, there I played the World Championship 2005.
1: Had you always wanted to get into, into coaching curling, or was that a job that kind of found you?
2: No, I was already in Cortina, uh, my town. I was coaching there. I coached uh, the junior and the senior, and still to play in Italy. I still to go on the medal on the, that period uh, with my old team. But in Italy, it's possible. We don't have that kind of level at uh, that moment. But uh, I still to go around the Euro to play the World Tour and something like that. We And uh, that's let me know some experience. And after that, 2016, I started to do that job. First, uh, I uh, employer uh, Roger Smith like a coach for Italy. After I employed uh, Jean-Pierre Rucce. And after I employed and, uh, Soren Grant to help me because... Uh, Alone, uh, just me to coaching all of that kind of um, curling was too much for me, and I need some support, of course, to learn and uh, to be better. Work and that was happening because uh, we qualified the men team for the Olympic game two thousand and eighteen, and we won two bronze medals: one with the women and one with the men in the European Championship.
1: Yeah, and then so did that lead to this opportunity with the Chinese national team? Did they see what you guys were able to do with with those teams and reach out to you to to come to this program?
2: Yeah, and uh, actually uh, I was uh, I received a phone call from Pea and Pea asked me if I want to do that job. And uh, of course I say Pea, <laughs> it's an honor to work with you. And uh, I accepted uh, and I said to my federation, <laughs> I have a new job and I want to try to do that new experience because can grow me like a coach and a different way. And I'm looking for something different to have a different uh, perspective about curling. And uh, actually with Soren uh, and, and Pea, we find that and here in China to try to grow uh, our skill for coaching and uh, grow the curling um, uh, coaching system in different way. And uh, we try to do something more. I would say more professional, more like the normal, every sport, like hockey, like soccer, like all the sport team.
1: So was it was it a hard decision to make to to leave and go to China? I know you have a family back in Italy.
2: Yeah, I have my wife and my daughter. My daughter is a killing player too. Uh, yes, was a, okay, difficulty, yes, because I have to leave for a long time, my family. But the, we take that decision together with my family. I... I make a meeting with my, my wife and my daughter and we take that decision together and all my family was proud of me. And they say, uh, Marco, you have to take that chance for your uh, future career, you have to go. And uh, I, of course, I say yes.
1: Yeah, it, it sounds like one of the, the main reasons that you jumped at the opportunity was the opportunity to to work with Paya Lindholm. So what, what's it been like working with Paya And is there is there anything that he does that's different from other coaches that you've worked with?
2: Oh, i can say again with Pea we build a very professional way to coaching curling team and he is leading that program in good way of course we are more on the ice we are the coaching in, uh, in work on the ice me for the men team uh, for the women team soren for the men team and uh, tommy rantamaki for the mixed double and uh, he he is our boss yeah our 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 responsible of that and uh, i hope he's uh, happy about our job <laughs> of course Pia is with us and if you need some helps help us in every everything i was i was on for 4 months he take care about the team here with the, with soren when i was home and they, he was on the ice of course and but the, when when i'm on with the team i'm in charge to to drive my team
1: Tell, so tell us about your team. You're taking uh, a group of four to Calgary to the bubble for the Women's World Championships. What can you tell us about about your team? Who obviously kind of can't. I don't want to say came out of nowhere, but they really surprised some people when they came away with gold at the last uh, Pacific Asia Championships.
2: Oh, I think I have a very young team, with a very future potential on the curling. And uh, I don't want to see the skip Han Yu can be one of the start of the future for that sport. But she is close to be that. Maybe not right now, but in the future. Now she have twenty years old, and his number is another player we we call uh, uh, Daisy because in in in, uh, in Chinese name is Dongji, But my pronouns my Chinese pronouns pronouns is very very bad I like my English pronouns. But uh, <laughs> yeah uh they are young 20 and 21 and after i have the front end is a 23 years old and uh, i have very very young team and i'm very proud what they done before in the um, uh, pacc because we we play a good level and they show show uh, me a quite a very strong mentally mentally to play and uh, their commitment here in the practice time is very very higher and i like that Ciao Cindy is the our lead. Uh, she already played the quali- Olympic qualification event. She have uh, she was alternating the Olympic game in uh, Korea. The rest of the team we don't have no international experience. We have played last year uh, uh, in Canada in, uh, two tournament and we was uh, semifinal and uh, and the final in Moose Jaw and in uh, Lollister. And after we was around europe too we we was in the final in the bird Damen with that team was quite good result and uh, we was every tournament we was into the quarterfinal, final semi final thats was good for the young team like us it was uh, for that team it was very very good
1: yeah that was the most impressive thing to me about her was she followed up that gold at the PACCs by getting those results overseas that you just talked about. Um, what is it about her that has allowed her to become so good at such a young age? I mean, she could still be playing in juniors if if she was if she wanted to. It seems like, but she's going out and beating uh, international women's teams.
2: Uh, you know about, uh, about I can spoke about Han Yu, but uh, Han Yu is uh, one of the player and uh, we have a team our strong part is we are really a team that's go together they fight together they find solution together on the ice and they try to commit them together of course Yu is uh, something uh, can be like i said before a uh, future player for uh, for the curling world uh, and she is very tough and uh, she she tried to improve every time his skill, his physical skill. He's is a amazing athlete. She she practices on the gym every day, but that is our it is into our program already. Is our one of our um, uh, uh, we set for the player. We we looking for the physical uh, performance and actually the curling skill too. And Han, you have all of that kind, and uh, she is a young, but she have a quite good uh, tactical. Thinking about curling, and uh, and she is a fighter for sure. All
1: right. What um, what would you say is kind of the strengths of this team, and um, what would you say are kind of their their opportunities for growth as they get more experience?
2: Yeah, we like the main team. We we played the last tournament last year in uh, in Scotland, and was in uh, uh, Glenhill was the last time we we'll do that tournament in. Uh, in, uh, in that curling arena. And it uh, was exactly uh, more than one year ago. And uh, I think that team, that younger team, need need to play more and more international competition. If you can understand, for Hanyu and uh, mostly of that player, is the first time they played the... Uh, a world championship at that level because we have to not forget all the teams coming now and that bubble in Calgary they fight for his sport for the spot for the olympic game and that can be really really tough of course we have already in the olympic game but uh, we want to show what uh, we are done and what we are
1: and then uh, do you expect this to be the team that you wind up taking to beijing in 2022 uh, you know, in the women team, I, I have eight
2: players with me now in my program, and uh, I have a uh, very equal player, and uh, that is the team from my point of view at the moment. They are the, the my first five choice for that World Championship, but we don't know. We we have another eight months to go to the Olympic game. We don't know about injury. We don't know about uh, home situation. We don't know nothing. And uh, I still open at the door until uh, I think end of the summer to decide who is the, the the five name to the Olympic game. But that that girl have a go, uh, good possibility to go there. They have a good chance.
1: All right. Well, Marco, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Uh, good luck to your team and uh, safe travels to Calgary.
2: Thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, say hello to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> will Ciao. do.
1: Ciao. Jonathan, obviously this team has Beijing on their minds. They're already qualified. Marco and Peya Lindholm were brought in to professionalize this program leading into these games on home soil. What can we expect from China at this tournament?
0: I honestly don't know. I think it's I think it's a big mystery, to be honest, and I think we'll we'll see. Um I'm sure they've had like world-class coaching. So I don't think that's going to be the issue, but I I do think nothing, nothing replaces match experience. And so one big disadvantage with the pandemic for the Chinese teams is they haven't been able to get it on tour and get that, that tournament experience over the last, over the last 14 months. So I think that, that probably will slow their progress a bit, but it'll be interesting to see how they, they handle the challenges uh, in Calgary.
1: All right, let's move on to the Czech Republic or Czechia, depending on your preference. The Czech Republic's best finish at Worlds came in 2018 when the skip of this team, Anna Kubiskova, made playoffs and finished sixth. This is her fifth appearance at Worlds, all as a skip. They have not gotten much competitive ice time, but they did win the Czech championship back in September and got some practice ice in Sweden back in January. So we aren't going to know a whole lot about this team, or at least not know a whole lot about what they've done the last 14 months.
0: Yeah, I think I would, well, guess we'll get to the tiers in a bit, but I'd say they're a dangerous team. A lot of international experience. Certainly, as they've they've made the playoffs in the past, they're certainly capable of doing that, but probably not one of the favorites.
1: Up next is Denmark. Denmark has won one world championship coming back in 1982. This is Madalena DuPont's 12th appearance at Worlds and her fifth as a skip. As a skip, she has not finished higher than eighth but she threw fourth stones for a team that finished second in 2007. She has also made two Olympic appearances. The team skipped by Matilda Halsa probably represents the future of Danish curling as she finished seventh at the 2019 Euros to qualify Denmark for Worlds, but it will be a veteran team that tries to get Denmark back to the Olympics. Of course, Denmark's Worlds qualifier in December was shut down due to COVID-19, DuPont's team was chosen to represent Denmark here at this Worlds. If you want to learn about what happened at that Worlds qualifier and also learn about the history of Danish curling and how it is that they've been able to qualify for every Olympic women's tournament, you can listen to our interview with Association President Henrik Christensen from January 26th, Jonathan Jonathan, honestly, this team could finish anywhere from fourth to twelfth, and I really wouldn't be that surprised either way.
0: Yeah, I think they're a pretty streaky team, especially Madeleine Dupont. She can, she can medal at Euros and other years get relegated. So it's, it's kind of a, we don't know what we're going to get kind of thing with them. I think they're, you know, I wouldn't say inconsistent, but they're, they're capable of kind of putting on very good performances, but also, you know, sometimes not, let's put it that way.
1: Up next is Estonia, and welcome, Estonia. This is the first women's or men's world championship appearance for Estonia. Estonia is the smallest country by population among any of the countries that have ever qualified for a men's or women's Worlds, And they are skipped by Marie Terman. Uh, Terman finished fourth at the 2020 world qualification event. However, Estonia was selected as the 14th team when they added a 14th team to this tournament. They won the Estonian championships, but most of the ice time for them have been in mixed doubles tournaments and in Estonian tournaments. Terman finished 8th at the 2019 Euros, tying for Estonia's highest ever finish at a Euros and ensuring their place in the next A pool at the European Championships. Terman and Harry Lill made quarterfinals at the previous mixed doubles worlds, Terman also represented Estonia at the 2015 World Juniors, where she went two and seven. If you want to know all about Estonian curling, you can check out our interview with Curling talons Fred Rondver from October
0: 27th. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a rookie experience for a relatively young team. And uh, I think they're, they're there primarily for the experience.
1: Moving on to Germany. Germany has won two World Championships, the last time coming in 2010. This is Skip Daniela Yinch's seventh trip to Worlds and her sixth time at Worlds as a skip. Her best finish as a skip was ninth in 2019. This team was able to get on the ice for three warm-up series. They win a combined nine and three against Team Italy, and they went five and two against Team Stern, the 2020 Swiss Championships. Uh, The last time we saw Team Yinch, they finished fifth at the 2019 Euros. Jonathan this is a veteran team, but they've never really challenged for a playoff spot at Worlds. But I would say they are the team most likely to ruin someone's day. And look out, because two of the last three games that they have in the round robin are against Sweden and Switzerland, who are likely going to be battling for a bye to the semifinals by the end of the round robin.
0: Yeah, I'd say Team Jens has had better results lately at the Euros. Um, And so kind of coming on strong as one of the top European teams, they still haven't really put it all together at a women's world championship, but they're, they have the experience now and certainly are capable of beating anyone on any given day. And, um, you know, they'll definitely be a threat on the ice.
1: Yeah. Consistency, I think, is the only thing keeping them from the playoffs. Up next is Italy. Italy's best finish at a world's was fifth in 1980. They recently promoted 22-year-old Stefania Constantini to skip, although veteran Veronica Zapponi is still on the team. Uh, this team is transitioning and moving to a, in a younger direction, uh, talking to the people involved with Italian curling or who have been involved in Italian curling. I do think the future is bright for the Italian women's program. Uh, however, I think they're kind of focused more on twenty twenty six. After all, they are the only the only team that is currently qualified for the twenty twenty six Olympics. But I do think the the future is is bright for this program. However, they did have to go through the World Qualification Event to get into the twenty twenty Worlds that were canceled, uh, and I am not sure they are ready to challenge for a playoff spot. Up next is Japan, and Jonathan, Japan might be the best team to never win a gold at women's worlds though korea might argue that their best finish was second in 2016 this year japan will be represented by team hokkaido bank fortius skipped by sayaka yoshimura she is the fourth different japanese champion in the last 4 years it's her second chip, trip it's her second trip to worlds but her first as a skip They've been successful at the slams, but may, they've been successful at the slams, but may not be as well known globally as other Japanese teams. So, here to tell us more about them is one of their coaches, Connor Negevin. All right, we are joined by Connor Negevin. and Connor, you are usually the lead on Team Gunligson, but we are not here to talk about the Briar. We're actually here to talk about kind of your side gig. You know, everyone has a side gig these days, and yours—you are coaching. Team Yoshimura, and they are heading to Worlds as Japanese champions.
3: Yeah, pretty exciting for the girls. I know they're uh, they're very very excited to get into the bubble.
1: How how did this come about? How did you wind up getting connected with this team?
3: Yeah, it's kind of an interesting story. Like we we went out to Japan to play a couple events um, last year. Jay had kind of had some connections out there, so we went out to to play. And it was just a weird scenario where they were looking to continue to find a way to improve and they were going to be spending some time in Canada. Um, We actually ran a couple of junior camps when we were out there. And then the head coach approached me and just wanted to have a meeting about talking about how to improve their girls. And um, we had a meeting and the next thing you know, it's like, okay, well, why don't you work with us this year? And I was always something I wanted to do
1: yeah that was my next question was were you always looking to get into coaching or was this a was this a job that found you rather than you finding it?
3: yeah like I worked for curl Manitoba for about five years, and it was, my um main job was was coaching juniors and and building junior programs and running camps and doing stuff like that, so I've always had a really big passion for finding ways to improve and and how do we teach kids and how do we teach athletes to improve in our sport it's it's definitely something in canada that we we have a very small pool of coaches um it's really really small and it's difficult to find a good coach um and obviously my wife is a competitive curler i'm a competitive curler so um it's basically all we talk about all we do and and while i was working with curl manitoba running those programs i was taking my coaching courses obviously and and um yeah I mean it's always something that I looked at because to be honest like I I curl I curl at a high level but I, I it takes a lot of work for me to be good so if I can find a way to stick myself in the sport in and in a different light then I'm always looking uh, to stick around in the sport. and um being from Canada it's hard to get on a Canadian team as a coach being so young right I'm only 28 so um an opportunity came up when we flew to Japan and yeah, it's like uh, basically a dream come true. Uh,
1: What's your role with them? What were they looking for you to bring to the table when they started working with you?
3: Yeah. So, so I'm hired with them as a consultant. Um, So my main job last year, especially when they were, we were able to travel pre COVID um, was just, how do we manage events? How do we manage the grand slams? What are we doing to manage our rocks? Um, I did a lot with them with sweeping. Um, sweeping strategy how do we how do we start to beat the top teams and and it's very they did a really good job with their skill level of getting into the kind of the top 15 in the world but how do we get from the top 15 in the world to the top five and what do we have to do and and that's where all the small things come into play so it was a lot of Um, managing the events and making sure they're comfortable in Canada and me, me basically just running everything as far as rocks, um, practices, um, sweeping and strategy and trying to just, uh, take us to the next level.
1: Things are a little different out there. You, you coach this team, but now they're the Japanese national team. So does this mean that you're going to go with them into the women's worlds bubble or are they now going to be working with uh, JD Lind now that they're the national team?
3: Yeah, so it's a little bit different. Obviously, JD runs that program, right? And he's, he's probably one of Canada's best coaching prodigies ever, right? And, and uh, luckily for Japan, they snatched him up pretty quick. Um, so the way it works is there's only a certain amount of spots that you can bring into a world championship, especially in a bubble format. Um, so I don't think I'm going to be going this year just because we got five players, a Japanese coach, um, plus JD who runs the program. And then it's really important for those girls to either have a trainer or a translator, obviously. So I think I'm going to be on the outs. Um, I'll just be working remotely with them, which is fine, which I have been doing ever since COVID.
1: And I, will you talk with JV, JD before
3: the start of worlds then? Yeah, actually I've been talking to JD quite a bit. I actually have a meeting again with him today. Um, super awesome guy really easy to work with. And just he has so much knowledge. Um, I'm a little bummed out. I can't join him this year because I think it would be a a little bit of a, or definitely a really good learning experience for me as a coach. Um, But yeah, me and him are kind of in constant communication because obviously it's very important to do as good as we possibly can at the world championships this year.
0: So is there a language barrier? Does the team speak English or do you have a translator or how do you communicate with them?
3: yeah, so a couple of them um, speak English. Anna actually speaks uh, very good English. She's done an amazing job at uh, at kind of still learning a little bit and and I can have a pretty good conversation with Anna, and she can actually understand quite well. Um but we do use a translator. Um, while we have meetings, um, just to make it, everything seamless and make sure we're understanding everything. So yeah, we usually, f- uh, they either fly with the translator, but I mean, with COVID now we just have a translator on our calls and, um, he's actually a curler from BC who's out there playing with the university team. So, um, he understands the sport really well, which helps a lot.
0: And so you said you were been kind of uh, coaching remotely, I guess. So how does this work during the pandemic? Are you coaching by zoom? Do you watch the games over the live stream? How do you, how do you interact with them?
3: Yeah. So, I mean, I do watch the games over a live stream and then we, we talk about them um, for the most part, but I mean, it's usually just checking in and, and the girls will run their practices. I have access to watch their practices. And we did a lot this year with filming deliveries and um getting good video on everything and filming it and then analyzing it uh separately with each player and kind of talking about where we need to get to and how do we get better um it's definitely been different but surprisingly easier than i thought it would be um if you would ask me how coaching would be kind of last august over zoom i would have said it was going to be very difficult, but it seems like it's, uh, I mean, with the technology that everybody has these days, I'm able to get what I need to get. And, and the girls are just unbelievable athletes. So they can pick up on things and adapt really quickly. So yeah, it's been, honestly, it's been really good.
1: You started working with this team. It was the beginning of the second year, um, under the current lineup. And since then, I mean, they've really started to excel. Uh, and now they're Japanese champions. So what, what have you seen from this team that's kind of allowed them to make this leap?
3: Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I definitely can't take all the credit. They're incredibly talented and they were definitely on the rise way before I was, I was involved. Um, what I would say about them is they, they just have a worth that et- ethic that allows them the opportunity to get into the top echelon of teams. Um, and right now they're accessing the resources to do so as well. Um, the thing I love about working with them is they, they soak up everything like a sponge. Um, they listen so well and they're, they're willing to try different things and work hard to achieve them. Um, they're, they're building, they keep building. And, and honestly, the, the depth in Japan also helps them. Uh, JD's done such a good job with that program. Like I would, I would honestly argue that the depth in Japan in those top five teams is, is similar to anywhere in the world, if not deeper than some places in the world. It's, it's getting to the point where that I'm watching that national competition and we're talking like high eighties into the nineties of shooting percentage. And it's, it's, I think that also helps the girls progress because they're getting solid competition every time they step onto the ice.
1: Yeah. Four different champions in the last four years. Uh, and those teams have done well at world. So definitely a lot of depth there in Japan. Um, where have you seen this team improve the most since you've started working with them and, and what, what are their areas for growth? Do you think?
3: Yeah, I think that one of the things that we worked on is, um, how do we, how do we become the best sweepers we can? We got two really, really strong, um, uh, front end sweepers, um, and we are just, how do we use them to our advantage? Um, because I would say that we're almost top five in in strength of sweeping in the world. Like those two girls are unbelievable and they work really hard. And how do we use them to our advantage? And then the second thing I would say is just um, letting Sayaka grow into herself as a skip. Um, being a skip is not very easy. Being a skip in the top 10 in the world is, is even harder. And how do we make sure she gets the reps and builds the confidence to believe she can do it? And that's been really a main focus of us, is uh, we need to make sure her strategy is is good and she's confident with how she's calling the game, and then allow herself to be confident in her teammates and build confidence throughout an event where she can feel like she's playing and she belongs with the top 10 in the world. And that's been the biggest thing I've noticed, is she's really blossomed into a high-caliber skip, and really that's what you need if you want to compete at the top level.
0: So, for people who haven't been able to see this team play yet um, or watch them in the slams, what kind of style of play do they have? Do you say they're like like a lot, are like offensive, like a lot of rocks in play, or are they a bit more open in terms of their game style?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think with the dive into analytics that curling is kind of getting into now, right? Um, the styles of game can change between opponents, right? So, um, I would say that our girls the biggest thing with our girls is they're not afraid to mix it up without the hammer. They're not afraid to force the issue if they have to flip the hammer. And that involves maybe some double center guards or, or getting some stuff going to make sure that they gain control of the game. Um, And the same thing could be said with, with the hammer, right? It's all about limiting your risks, taking twos, if you get the opportunities, but at the same point, not giving up steals. Um, So I think you'll look to see, at the world championship, you'll look to see probably a little bit more rocks in play. Um, they're not afraid to, to get out of an end by drawing. Um, that's definitely a strong suit of our skip. So yeah, I think, I think anybody watching them is going to be excited when they watch their games for sure.
1: Yeah. You've got the ultimate analytics skip. Have you been able to pass any of that information along to them?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, Yeah, I have probably the best guy to talk to about uh, tactics and, and trends within the game. And obviously, I live it a little bit myself with with Jason. But um, yeah, I mean, everything changes for the women's games and different opponents. And yeah, I'd be lying if I said I hadn't had multiple conversations with Jay about how do we how do we get the girls to where we need to get to.
1: I guess help us get to know these players because they not, might not be as well known in North America as, say, Team Fujisawa, especially in the U.S. where it's a little it's much harder for us to get access to the coverage of the slams. Um, so for those of us here in here in North America, you know, tell us about uh, tell us about this team. They've been successful for over a decade now, but what should we know about them?
3: Yeah, so so my team, they work for the Hokkaido Bank. Um uh, sponsor. So Hokkaido Bank has been kind of prevalent in Japanese curling, especially at the start when they were getting going. So, so our lead Yumi has actually been to a couple Olympics. Um, so she, she has a ton of experience. She's been to World Championship Olympics, kind of when Japan was just starting to get going. So she spent some time with JD kind of when JD was first getting there. Um, Anna and Kaho, are also part of the Hokkaido Bank program for a very long time. Um, they've been to also the Vancouver Olympics. Anna is unbelievably funny, uh, just a great overall person, always has a smile on her face, and um, she's the one who speaks a little bit of English and, and really kind of the rock on the team as far as I go with, with helping me translate to the girls. But um, unbelievably kind, always has a smile on her face, and you'll definitely see that at the World Championship. Uh, I would say Kaho, in my opinion, and I'm obviously a little bit biased, is probably one of the best sweepers in the world in the women's game. And I think anybody who watches her at the World Championship is going to get an opportunity to see why. Um, she's very strong. Her technique is flawless. And it's very, very impressive how straight she can hold a rock and how athletic she is. Um Again, I'm a little bit biased, but I think anybody watching it will will probably uh, send me a Twitter message agreeing with me how how strong she is and how great she is of a sweeper. And then Sayaka is kind of uh, like she she was kind of growing up. She was the Japanese prodigy. She was uh, in a couple World Juniors, um, World University Games, and uh, I guess just coming out of of Juniors, uh, what most skips find is it's very hard um it's very difficult to be a skip in the women's level especially with how fast japan was growing um so sayaka is finally the last couple years kind of grown to she played third for a little bit um and now she's grown to become who she in the position she wants to be in and really grown to become comfortable as a skip at the top women's level and um What people will notice about Sayaka um, that makes her so good is she's absolutely fearless. Um, She understands the role of a skip. She understands that sometimes she's going to have to make shots to either get their team out of trouble or just to win games if things don't go right. And she's not afraid to do so. And um, she's quiet. Um, She's like a cerebral assassin. Like, she's just quiet. She doesn't say a whole lot, but she's not afraid of anything. and, And she can make those big shots, whether it's a run back or a draw the button. Um, and then what I would say about all of them, just unbelievable humans. Um, so respectful. They love the sport. They do everything they possibly can to get better. Um, and they, they have a lot of fun. Um, they, they like to be on the ice. They have smiles on their faces. They enjoy competition and it's just a, like a real joy to coach. Uh,
0: so what do you enjoy most about working with the team?
3: Yeah, I would say like, well, besides the fact that I, that I get to coach at a high level, which is always something that I've wanted to do. Um, I would just say the best part about coaching these girls is, is kind of how much that they um, embrace the family kind of um, atmosphere that a lot of Canadian curling teams do as well. Um, I've gotten to spend a lot of time with them, obviously. And I would say that um those four girls, myself and and their Japanese coach, we treat each other more like family than we do a team. And, and that's just kind of cool. Right. I don't, I don't get a chance to see them as much as I would like to, especially this year. And, um, they always follow my curling. They are always sending me messages like, um, obviously, same with them. And we just, we chat a lot. And um, we just kind of have a family built atmosphere. And I think that allows us to be really honest with each other. And that's kind of what allowed us to make the big steps, I think. Um, And it's unique to find a set of, of five or six people that that can be really honest with each other and work towards the same goal. And Um, us kind of embracing that family atmosphere has kind of taken us to the next level. And I mean, it's an absolute, like you couldn't ask for a better situation to coach in. Uh,
1: What's the future look like for this team? Obviously they've got a chance to get Japan qualified for the Olympics coming up. They'll have a chance to be the Olympic team against team Fujisawa uh, at a later date. Like what's the future look like for this team and what are you expecting out of them the rest of this calendar
3: year? Yeah. I mean, to, to be honest, again, I'm a little bit biased, but I think the sky's the limit for them. Um, we've we've shown that we can continue to improve, and and we improved this year without actually seeing each other. Um, so I think if we ever get an opportunity to to spend some time together, I think that we can really look in for different ways to improve. And I mean, obviously, the World Championships is a big thing. Again, it's a little bit different when you're coming to Canada all the time, and and now they haven't been to Canada for over a year, right? So. Um, I think the World Championships is going to be a big test for us because obviously really the events that we're going to play for the next six, seven months are all going to be pressure cookers. Um, Everything we play in is going to be really important. Um, So I think that the biggest thing is just embracing um, being Team Japan. At the World Championship, have a good showing. Uh, whether that means uh, winning a medal or just getting top six, right? Just have a good showing. We haven't been there for a little while. Let's have a good showing. Let's show that we can we belong. And then, I think, yeah, moving forward, it's how do we how do we get ourselves into the Olympics? And once we get ourselves into the Olympics, how do we make sure that we have a good showing there? So, um, I really think that these girls have an opportunity to do something great. And, um, they're definitely, it's definitely not going to be for lack of worth ethic. That's for sure.
1: All right, Connor, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it and good luck to you and good luck to team Yoshimura coming up at worlds.
3: Yeah. Thanks guys. I appreciate it.
1: This team just completely fascinates me, Jonathan. They had a, they had a tough start to the year and they struggled in the two, what they called strengthening competitions that Japanese curling held before the new year, then, without an automatic bid to the national championships, they had to win their way in by winning the Hokkaido playdowns. Then they go to nationals, and they beat Fujisawa in the final after losing to that team, both in the round robin and in the page 1-2. They've all played at Worlds before, and two of them have Olympic experience, but for first time this team with this current lineup at a world championships.
0: Yep, that's absolutely true. I think, I think they'll actually be a threat because they've, they've got some good international experience. They've got some slam experience. Um, I, I, don't, I think having slam experience kind of negates the lack of worlds experience, to be honest. And I, my sense is that Japan has had a fairly full season of curling, unlike some other countries. So I think, again, that's a bit of an advantage that if you've had time to play and compete, even if it hasn't been at the slam level, uh, that's a bit of an advantage over some teams that haven't been able to play at all.
1: Up next is Korea, and this is such a great story. Welcome back, Team Kim. The 2018 Olympic silver medalists are again Korean champions after a really harrowing journey after that 2018 silver medal. The best finish by a Korean team at Worlds was third in 2019, but that was Team Kim Minji. This team is skipped by Kim eun who is making her third trip to the worlds? They appear to finally have gotten away from a really toxic situation. The people who harmed them are in jail. The Korean Curling Federation has a new president, and Team Kim themselves have changed provincial affiliations, leaving the Jongbuk Sports Association in Usong for uh, Gangyong City, which is where the 2018 Olympic Curling Tournament was held and get the full history of Team Kim and what they've gone through since the 2018 Olympics up until now in our interview with Coach Peter Gallant and curling consultant Melvin Lee from December 8th. Melvin was also able to help set up an interview with Team Kim's coach, Lim Myung-Sup. So we will play that for you right now. You'll hear me asking questions. You will also hear Coach Lim answer sometimes in English, sometimes in Korean. You will also hear Melvin sometimes have to translate for Coach Lim. One thing I did do was I took out any time where Melvin had to translate my questions for Coach Lim, and I did that to save time. But you will hear answers from both Coach Lim and Melvin. So let's get to that interview right now. All right. We are joined now by Coach Lim Myung-sup, the coach of Team Kim Eun-jung, who is going to represent Korea at the upcoming World Women's Curling Championship. Coach Lim, thank you so much for joining us.
4: Yeah. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you. Nice to meet you.
1: Good to meet you as well, and um, if you don't mind, just kind of let everyone know just what your background is, uh, where you're from, and then how you got started in curling.
4: Yeah, uh, I started curling for 14 years, when I when I 14 years, So, and uh, I played cur- um, professional curler during the 2006 to 2010 with the CK, you know. DK is the one of the best Asian team in Korea and I my position is second and that after 2060, I, six, I started Kochi to my province team.
1: So what's the biggest difference that you've seen in curling from when you started to now? Like how much has curling grown in Korea since you started? In this
4: question, I need some Melvin's help so... I, I, I speak Korean. 어 2007년에는 이전에는 한국에는 컬링장이 없었습니다. 없었고 그래서 별로 컬링을 할수 있는 환경이 좋지 않았었고 그런데 이제 컬링장이 생기고 이제 평창 올림픽이 이제 확정이 되면서 이제 정부하고 이제 기업의 후원들이 많아졌고요. 이제 그러면서 한국이 컬링이 지금처럼 조금씩 조금씩 계속 성장할 수 있었다고 생각합니다.
5: So before 2007, uh, there were actually no dedicated curling clubs in Korea. Um, After Korea was awarded the 2018 Pyeongchang Olympic Games, uh, there was a lot of government and corporate sponsorship and investment uh, into building curling clubs and curling centers for training and for, for curling. And so it was through the actual uh building of these curling clubs that curling started to really grow in uh in korea
1: okay so now you you are the coach of team kim just tell how did you get started uh coaching this team
4: team male, female, mixed, mixed, team, 이제 작년부터 이제 팀킴만 예, 같이 하게 되었습니다. 그리고 어, 사실은 팀킴과는 14년 전부터 알고 지낸 사이였기 때문에 코치를 함에 있어서 크게 어려운 점은 없었습니다. 아, uh, so,
5: starting in 2019, um, uh, coach Coach Lim actually was given coaching responsibilities for uh, the Korean men's team. 아, uh, sorry, the uh, the provincial, Gyeongbuk Provincial men's team, women's team, Team Kim, and the uh, Gyeongbuk Provincial mixed doubles team. Uh, it was only after 2020 that Coach Lim uh, devoted his full coaching responsibility for Team Kim. Uh, but it was a, a, pr- a pretty good fit because uh, Coach Lim actually, uh, in terms of his relationship with the Team Kim Curlers, it goes back 14 years. So it was a very comfortable fit and transition for him to be their coach.
1: So what is the process like in Korea? Were you hired by Team Kim? Were you hired by uh, Jeonbok, uh Provincial? Uh, or were you hired by the Korean Curling Federation to coach the team? Yes,
4: uh, I'm hired by Team Kim. And I moved to a uh, new province. is Gangneung. Gangneung is the Olympic city, 2008. And me and Team Kim moved to Gangloon city province. So, and that time we we won the Korean national championship. So Team Kim is the national team and I'm also national team coach now.
1: Yeah, I did see that they moved provinces and I imagine that means something completely different in Korea than it would mean in say Canada. What does that mean for Team Kim that they've changed provinces from Jungbuk to um Gyeongyeong?
4: 사실 팀 김하고 저는 이제 경북에서만 평생을 컬링을 했었기 때문에 이제 다른 province로 옮기는 것은 굉장히 큰 챌린지였는데 뭐 그럼에도 불구하고 이제 강릉에서 굉장히 so he was saying that um,
5: Team Kim, the curlers, and also Coach Lim himself, uh, they not only trained and curled in Gyeongbuk and in the town of Uisong, but they grew up there. And so for many of them, it was their hometown. And for all of them, it was their home curling uh, club and the place where they trained and, and played and drew in the sport of curling. So uh, changing to another municipality in another province was quite a challenge, both for curling and just for living wise. But the support that they've received in uh, the Gangnen city has been tremendous. And um, uh, the resources that have been allocated to them for support for, for their continued development has been much more than anticipated.
1: Uh, yeah. Can you please take us through the Korean Championships from back in November? Just how determined was this team to win another Korean Championship after seeing somebody else win the last two of
4: them? Yeah. Uh, uh, 어, 있었는데, 우승하면서, 예, the team
5: Kim Curlers uh, they had been through a lot of challenges over the past uh, since actually Pyeongchang the PyeongChang Olympics. And so all of them were of the same mind. To, uh, oh, to win the uh, national championships, the most recent national Korean championships. In particular, Annie, because of um, her maternal leave, because she had a baby, she was particularly determined to win this year's national championships. Um, what was particularly uh, challenging during this year's championships is the format for the uh, for the final, where it was a one match final, a one curling game final, uh, but uh, through their perseverance and uh, adaptability, they persevered and were able to play their best curling and win their national championship.
1: And they had to beat some very good teams to to win, including Team Kim Min Ji, who we will see at the upcoming. Grand Slams and Team Jim, which won last year's championship. Um, what has allowed Korea to develop so many good women's curling teams here in kind of a short period of time?
4: Uh 있기 한 5년 전부터 이제 정부와 어떤 기업의 어떤 대대적인 so similar to um, the growth of curling uh, significant growth of curling
5: after the awarding of the 2018 Olympic Games to PyeongChang, there was a lot of government support, and government and corporate support and sponsorship for curling. Uh, And uh, Coach Lim says since about 2013, in in specific after the Olympics, a a Korea curling league, which was a professional level curling league that was set up in 2019, I believe, uh, allowed that competitive development to continue in Korea. And so the competitiveness, particularly, as you mentioned, Ryan, on the woman's side, but also the um, fan base for curling grew through these two initiatives.
1: For most of us here in North America, this is going to be the first time that we see Team Kim really since 2018 uh, where do you think this team has improved the most since the last time most of us saw them in 2018, and where do you think they can still improve?
4: Olympic Five Rock Rule로 변경도 되면서 지금은 어떤 그런 어떤 그런 전략을 조금 더 이제 좀더 집중을 좀 하고 있고 여전히 좀 어려운 스포츠인 같아요. 그래서 어렵기 때문에. So indeed, like uh, Team
5: Kim uh, did a unprecedented achievement as the highest ranking and highest meddling Asian team at the 2018 Olympics. However, Coach Lim is saying that the recently changed five rock rule is something that uh, the, t- the Team Kim members and curlers have had to adapt to. So. Uh, uh, in terms of changes in strategy, uh, gameplay, um, uh, regarding that. But he also just says, just generally, curling is a difficult game where strategy changes, not just end to end, but shot to shot. And so he, he thinks that himself as the coach and also the Team Kim Curlers have a lo- still a lot left to learn. Uh, but they are learning and researching and practicing very, very passionately to make themselves a better, even more elite curling team than they are now.
1: And so, what's it like for these players in Korea? Do they still have the same popularity that they would had back in 2018?
4: Hmm. Yeah, sure. 그 선수들은 굉장히 인기가 많습니다. 지금도 인기가 많고 그리고 특히나 그 선수들의 고향인 의성이나 아니면 지금 저희가 소속되고 있는 이 올림픽 도시인 강릉에서는 모든 사람들이 선수들을 알아보고 반갑게 맞이해주고 있고요. 재밌게, 네, their
5: popularity is still very high in Korea, particularly in the, their hometown in Ulsan. They are rock stars. Uh, everybody knows them, and everybody knows their families. But even due to the Olympics, in their new municipality and their new curling home of Gangneung, everybody in that city knows them as well. Also nationally, uh, they've been uh, featured on multiple variety programs and very popular TV programs. And so, yeah, their, their popularity since PyeongChang has not waned, and they continue to be a very highly sought-after celebrity group of athletes.
1: So how much attention and news coverage will their appearance at the Worlds get back in Korea?
4: <laughs> it depends on the region. Maybe I think, uh, uh, 아마도 세계 선수권이 지금 하기 전인데도 이미 한국에서는 많은 관심을 보여주고 있고요. 그리고 아마 출 출국하기 일주일 전에도 이제 코리아 컬링 페더레이션에서 이제 미디어 데이를 열어서 이제 선수들이 이제 세계 선수권 나가기 전에 어떻게 이제 활약할지 이런 부분도 좀 얘기를 해주고 있습니다.
5: There, there is as Coach Miles said. A lot of attention, even anticipation regarding how Team Kim will perform at this year's World Championships. The current uh, executive team at the Korea Curling Federation are going to be doing a media day featuring the Team Kim Curlers the week before they leave for Calgary to compete in the Women's World Championships. Uh, I believe that is scheduled for next week. Yeah, there is going to be quite a bit of media attention and even expectation on the shoulders of Team Kim uh, before this year's World Championships.
1: So in order to try and meet those expectations, how is the preparation for Worlds gone? Have they gotten to play in any events other than the Korean Championship? And have they even gotten to scrimmage against some of those other teams in Korea?
4: 저 일단 한국에 있는 여러 컬링장을 가서 좀 다양한 아이스 환경에서 지금 훈련을 하려고 하고 있고요. 어 특별히 이제 코리아 챔피언십 이후로는 대회가 없었습니다. 없었지만 지금 이제 한국에 있는 남자 팀들과 연습 경기 위주로 하는데 이제 특히 이제 CK 팀하고 너무 이제 연습 경기를 주로 하고 있어서 어 CK한테 굉장히 고마움을 네, 전달하고 싶습니다.
5: 아인 uh, uh, there are now multiple curling clubs throughout the country. Uh, so they have been actually going to various the various curling clubs throughout Korea because of the differing ice conditions and, and seeing how during, in training they adapt to them. After the national championships, there were no, no formal competitions in Korea due to the pandemic. However, because of the high level of curling uh, within their, their close friendship network, uh, of curlers at Uisong, which includes um, former men's national team Skip CK and his team. The team K- Team Kim has been able to scrimmage against some of these high elite men's teams to prepare for the world. And uh, I should say they wish to publicly thank CK for this opportunity to train with him in their preparation for the world championships.
1: Yeah. And I believe CK is uh, Kim Chang-min who represented Korea on the men's side in 2018, correct? Correct. Okay. And then just finally, do you guys have goals that you've set so far? Like what are the team's goals uh, for Worlds coming up in Calgary?
4: My team's goal is to go to the podium. Go to the podium. And me and my team think we deserve to get the gold medal in this World Championship. So we can do it.
1: All right. That's what I like to hear. All right. Coach Lim, thank you so much. Uh, Melvin, thank you so much for setting this up and for interpreting for us. I really appreciate this and good luck to you guys. Safe travels and good luck in Calgary.
4: Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting to me. Thank you. Thank you, Ryan.
1: Jonathan, we haven't seen this team on an international stage since 2018. I I just think it would be really cool if you look two or three games into this thing and think, "Uh uh-oh, this is the team Kim of old. Everyone better watch out.
0: Yeah, I'll be curious to see how how they've been given the layoff and given everything. So definitely a team to watch out for here.
1: So in addition to Carrie Anderson and Team Canada, the next five teams are also scheduled to participate in the two Grand Slams prior to Worlds, starting with the Russian Curling Federation. Russia's best finish at a Worlds was second in 2017. Alina Kovaleva returns to Worlds for a third time. Her last time at Worlds, she made playoffs and finished fifth in 2019. This team really cemented its status as the best team in Russia. They dominated the internal season they had there, losing only one game to Anna Sidorova in the round robin of the Russian championship. As a skip, Kovaleva also has two fourth place finishes at Euros. It seems they've been around a while, but this is still a pretty young team. Jonathan, I think we said this in the preview we released for the 2020 Worlds that was canceled, but do we think this is a team that's primed to break out and medal in an international event?
0: Yeah, I mean, they've again kind of Euros, they've done well in the Euros, right? So they've done uh, the last couple ones, they've kind of made the, the medal round. Uh, I think they're definitely a medal threat here as well.
1: All right, up next is Scotland, and welcome back, Eve Muirhead. Scotland has won Women's Worlds twice with the last one coming when Eve won in 2013. This is Eve's ninth Worlds and her eighth as a skip. She's made the playoffs four times as a skip. It's her first Worlds appearance since 2017. Like Kovaleva, she was dominant during the domestic season that British curling was able to set up in Sterling, uh, going 21-2. and two. She did lose her last game to Gina Aitken Uh, Eve won silver at the 2019 Euros, losing on an incredible shot by Anna Hasselberg, but she looks as good as she has since coming back from hip surgery. Jonathan, they have to finish sixth to get into the Olympics, and the only time Eve's finished lower than sixth at Worlds as a skip was her first trip to Worlds way back in 2009. I assume we can expect them in the playoffs.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, I think so. I think the other big advantage they've had is they've basically been on the ice training and kind of competing within the Scottish National Curling Academy, the Team GB Curling Academy, uh, since August. So they've had a full season, even if they haven't been able to play on tour, but they're also tour veterans. so I think the lack of that level of competition won't impact them as much as some of the less experienced teams.
1: All right, up next is Sweden, and I think the only question here is if Anna Hasselberg will capture her first gold at Worlds and thus have pretty much accomplished everything there is to do in curling at the age of 32. Her birthday will actually occur during this tournament on the day that they play the U.S. She's won gold at the Olympics. She's won gold at mixed doubles Worlds, at Euros, at World Juniors. This is her fourth shot at the Women's World Championship. She's made playoffs in her previous three appearances. Jonathan, will she claim Sweden's ninth world title and their first since 2011?
0: Sure. (laughs) Why not?
1: (laughs) They haven't gotten to play much other than uh, a couple games against Team Rana in Sweden and a uh, a made-for-TV event against Team Adin.
0: Going off Instagram, they've been doing a lot of CrossFit. As has Eve, actually, that's what I've taken away from curling Instagram this year.
1: A lot of CrossFit. A lot.
0: Both there's there's kind of a a CrossFit war going on between Team Hasselberg and Team Muirhead, where they both kind of post videos of their crazy workouts.
1: I think they're friends too, Anna and Eve. I think they're good friends off the ice too, at least when at least when we're allowed to like be around other people. <laughs>
0: Uh, well, I mean, Eve's like sub, sub sub for Anna, right? Back at the slam. That's right. When back. when
1: Anna went to double, when when Anna went to mixed doubles. That's right.
0: Yeah. So I mean, I think they obviously know each other well from the the European tour. Um, they don't really call each other up, but I kind of think they're subtweeting each other. That's my theory. <laughs>
1: <laughs> at least it's fun. It's fun to think that that this is a big CrossFit war between the two of them. It's fun to think.
0: Well, that. it's a bit like here's a crazy forty minute workout, and then the next day. Sarah McManus or someone's doing a crazy 40 minute workout all of which just make me tired looking at them
1: jonathan i'm going to start sending you like all of my exercise videos and basically try to 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 challenge you to to top what i'm doing
0: you normally just send me videos of you drinking beer by the pool
1: like i said (laughs) (laughs) my workout videos (laughs) drinking coors light is hard jonathan
0: yeah, you gotta get that, uh, gotta get that curling forearm strength built back up, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, on to Switzerland and the defending champs will be in the house in 2019. Team Tirinzoni won Switzerland its seventh world title, and it was the fifth time in eight years that Switzerland has won had won worlds. This is Tirinzoni's fifth world's appearance. They were able to play in three events in August and September, including going 4-2 and two in a men's tournament. They reclaimed the Swiss title that they lost in 2020, and then they beat Team Stern in a best-of-five to get here. Jonathan, is there any chance this team misses the playoffs?
0: Well, I mean, there's a chance. Like, like, I don't know what the chance is, but let's say 5% chance they miss the playoffs. So 95% chance they make the playoffs.
1: All right, the U.S. uh, The U.S. has one first-place finish at Worlds coming back in 2003. From a curling standpoint, the most disappointing thing about Worlds being canceled in 2020 was we did not get to see Team Peterson in that tournament. They were absolutely on a roll and could have been the surprise team of that tournament. Nina Roth is back from maternity leave, and she will be at third playing with Tabitha Peterson they've really only been able to practice and play against other US teams leading up to their trip to the bubble. Jonathan, are they the team that benefits most from their being two Grand Slams before worlds?
0: Yeah, I I got I'm a little worried about the lineup change. I think we've seen this already with uh, the Scotties, the Briar and the Men's Worlds bubbles that that shuffled lineups rotations of teams seems to put teams at a disadvantage and it was the teams that were the most stable that ended up um coming out on top at the end of those events so even though they know each other and have all played together even just rotating the lineup a bit can throw things off so that that i think and like if they had a full season i think it'd be fine um my one worry is actually two tournaments is exactly where you get have to play to get to the storming phase for most teams. Remember, like, <laughs> way back to our early thing about the performance wheel. <laughs> like, in some sense, you're better off going in cold where you're all kind of just feeling things out than kind of playing through two tunnel conditions. And that's when a lot of the friction and issues start to pop up. So it might actually be the worst time.
1: They're kind of used to juggling their lineup because when they started last year, Nina was still with the team. In fact, she was skipping and I think throwing leads rocks when they... Went to their first two tournaments before she stopped playing to go on maternity leave, you know, and then tab took over full time as skip and throwing fourth rock. So they've there, I mean, they're used to the lineup juggle like that.
0: Yeah, I guess so. So's team McRuthers, but I don't think it works all that well. <laughs> like I I'm not, I mean, I'm not someone who's like, you've always got to have the same lineup all the time. But I think if you're talking about winning a competition, the teams that win the the one exception is that kind of Pat Simmons John Morris thing. But that's the exception that proves the rule. I think every it's very, very rare for a team to win a championship um with a thrown together lineup. Not saying there's no chance, but there's been a hundred Briars and that's worked once, so we'll say it's a one percent chance.
1: All right. Well they don't have to win, they just gotta finish sixth.
0: I mean, sixth I think's possible, but uh, well we'll get to the tiers in a second. It's 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 going to throw a little wrinkle in there, I think.
1: Yeah. It, this is like you said, we'll let's get to the tiers and this is going to be hard. This this is a hard championship to figure out because it's so deep. There's so many teams that really when you look at it you say, "Oh yeah, they should be top 6. They should be top 6. They should be top 6." And then by the time you get through the list you're like, "Oh, I picked 10 teams to be in the top 6 and make and make the Olympics." But let's break them down into tiers. I've broken them down into four tiers. Um, tier one, which is like just your near guarantees for making the playoffs. So getting into the top six, getting into the Olympics. I've got three teams, and it's the same three teams I had when we did this for the men's world. It's Canada, Sweden, and Switzerland. I think those are the, two, those are the three teams you can almost just put in pin that they're going to be heading to the playoffs.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would be surprised if any of I would be stunned if those three teams didn't make the playoffs.
1: And then Tier 2, I have as teams that would just be really disappointed if they were outside of the top six. So they go in fully expecting that they're going to qualify for the Olympics at this tournament. And so if you think about it, I've got three teams that I think should absolutely be in the playoffs. That leaves three spots. And for those three spots here in Tier 2, I've got five teams. I've got Scotland, Japan, Korea, the U.S., and Russia.
0: Yeah. And so... Yeah, I think I think that's reasonable. Um, obviously, math says eight teams for six spots, two teams are not going to be going to the Olympics out of this event. That also means those two teams out of that group that don't get through are probably your favorites for the Olympic qualification event. But I also yeah, think be. that should be. I think the next tier down have a couple of definite spoilers, too, so... I think that's, I think we'll call these the bubble teams. That's a very scary bubble. Like you could, you could come away with a medal. You could come away uh, out of the Olympics and, you know, and off to the Olympic qualifier event.
1: So tier three, these are my dark horses for the playoffs. These are the teams that, you know, it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me if any of these three teams actually did make playoffs. And I have China, Denmark, and Germany.
0: Yeah, I think that's reasonable.
1: Two very veteran teams and the defending Pacific Asia champion.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's plausible. And I actually think the last four, I could see one of those teams also punching through. We can talk about that in a second.
1: Yeah, and then the, the Tier 4, where to me, if they made it into the top six, it would be a huge upset. I have Estonia, Czechia, and Italy.
0: I would put Czechia Tier 3.5. I think they're a little bit ahead of Estonia and Italy right now. I have a bit more. I'd agree with experience, that. You know, so I'd kind of move them up a bit. And again, if you told me at the end of the week, Czechia had a hot week, got the top six, I could see it. Um, I think Estonia, I would be very surprised by that.
1: Yeah, the the Czechs do have a playoff appearance from 2018. It was a little bit of a watered down tournament because that was a, a an Olympic year, but you know they uh, they they have recent success at worlds that's for sure
0: and a lot, a lot of international experience too that i think mm-hmm. matters um, for sure
1: so big questions for this tournament first one how much of an advantage will it be for the six teams that are playing in the two slams leading into the worlds
0: i don't are they changing the stones between competition
1: I'd imagine so.
0: So is there like, I I mean, that's the thing I don't know. It hasn't been explained to me is if there's a WCF, a Curling Canada and a Slam set of stones. If that's the case, a bit less. Um, If they're just using the same stones all the way through. I think that I think the stones is actually the big advantage. Plus plus knowing the the ice surface, right? Like they um, will
1: do a full like it'll be a completely rebuilt ice surface. They have said that. They rebuild the ice between the events. And I do believe that it will be a different set of rocks from the slams.
0: I think, so the ice surface, it's also because they got to take the markings out and change them. But I believe it's Greg Owasco for all of it, right? They're not bringing in a WCF ice tech for this event?
1: I don't know for sure.
0: Like, I think that's, to my mind... Okay, so there's basically three factors that would matter. One's familiarity with the bubble. So for like a team like Einerson, by the time you get to this, Einerson's kind of they'll be veterans. This'll be their their fifth event. So they'll know they'll know the bubble inside out. It'll feel like home. Ice the ice surface, which matters because different different ice techs place different bit of emphasis in terms of the breaking point, how much curl there is, the speed, all that. So is gonna have a certain kind of of playing surface, and that might be a subtle difference, say between say what you might get in a European or Pacific Asian Championship, and then so that's the second thing. And the third thing that I think really matters is the stones, just because if you if if Einersen's basically played five events with the same stones, even if they've been textured a few times, they'll have basically had time to sniff out the cutters, the pigs, all of that, and should have a pretty good rock book at that point and high confidence with the stones. Whereas some of the other teams, they might get one, one chance, well, they will get one chance playing with a set of stones at most before they, they get, to, um, get to the playoff round, right? Whereas Einerson may have played multiple games, well, will have played multiple games with each set of stones. So I think that could be a big advantage too.
1: All right. You have six first-time skips at this World Championships. Einerson, Hahn, Terman, Constantini, Yoshimura, Peterson. First time skipping. Now, few of those have been to Worlds before. Will a first time skip win gold at this event?
0: I could see Einerson doing it. I I think the others I'd be surprised by.
1: I mean, you already told me Hasselberg's winning.
0: I, I I think it kind of lines up for Hasselberg and, um, yeah, I, I would. that's who I would put my money on, probably.
1: Okay, of the three teams that I gave you in the top tier, Canada, Sweden, Switzerland, which of those is most likely to miss playoffs?
0: I guess Switzerland, but I, I'd be surprised if they miss playoffs. <laughs> but I'd, I'd say Switzerland of those three. Why's that? Just because I, I put them a slight step behind Einerson and Hasselberg in terms of quality.
1: They're the defending world champions.
0: Yeah, I don't deny that, but I'd say... if I'm just basically going off form. Canada and Sweden tend to... I think they're a little bit higher up on the Ken Palm ratings, right?
1: Okay. <laughs> no? I, I would actually say Canada.
0: So you're going off the theory that they're... They that they might underperform first time at a Worlds.
1: Not necessarily that. I think it's more of just the, the grind of being in the bubble for so long. That would be the reason that that honestly would be the reason I would pick was it's I would say that if it were to happen, if Canada were to if any of these teams were to miss playoffs, if you had told if you told me, uh, hey, Ryan, one of these three teams missed playoffs, which one do you think it was? I would say well in my opinion it would be Canada because just the grind of being in the bubble just eventually wore them down mentally. Also, last time we played at Women's Worlds, Canada didn't make playoffs.
0: That's true. I think that so I think that my theory for the reasons for that I think actually helped Team Einerson. So I, I think some of the reasons Canadian teams underperform at Worlds is if it's an international competition they're not familiar with the setup. I think that, like, the traveling issue. And I think the the crowd and the pressure of being Team Canada, right, that, that in a certain sense, when you're playing in a Scotties, the top five or six teams all feel the same kind of pressure. It's winning a Scotties. When you're playing in a world championship, the only team that has, like, several hundred thousand crazy fans on Twitter yelling at them every time they miss a shot is Team Canada, right? Most of these other... Most of these other teams go home and, and no one even knows they're they're playing in a world championship apart from their their friends of the curling ring. So I think those are the, the factors. And I think the bubble takes part of that out, right? Because you don't have crazy fans. It's actually a pretty quiet environment. And I think that there's a fair bit of advantage for having played in the bubble a lot. Perhaps bubble burnout might be a thing. We'll see. I, I think Einerson, I think they're just so consistent. Like they're, they're, they're kind of like the, the women's version of Gushu where it's just like we're just going to – they basically over this quad built themselves into a very well-oiled machine that I can see them losing a playoff game and not winning a medal. I can't see them kind of going whatever it would take, like six and six or something or six and seven or five and whatever to, to miss the playoff round, right? I think that would be surprising to me.
1: Yeah, I think all three of them are going to make the playoffs. Um, And Carrie's looking for, well, by the time this airs, who knows, she may have won a Grand Slam or two. But she'll also be looking for a third gold. She's already won the Scotties and mixed doubles. Um, Here's a question, Jonathan. Does the fact that the Worlds have basically been a glorified Olympic qualifier made you more interested in watching? Or would you be more likely to watch a future Worlds if the winner of the two or three worlds leading into the Olympics was then guaranteed a spot at the Olympics?
0: I, Me, personally? No. I I like this format. I don't have a problem with it being kind of a straight-up qualifier. Um, it would have been anyway, right? It would have been a bit more complicated in terms of points watching, mm-hmm. but... Like the Olympics, basically the Olympics before the quad is, sorry, the world championship before the Olympics is always the best world championship of the quad. And historically the the worst ones right after the Olympics, because a lot of, mm-hmm. there's a lot of no-shows, the field's a bit watered down and some of the name brand teams are just burned out from the Olympics that they don't, they don't put on their best performance. So I think this is definitely historically since the Olympics have come along, been the best world championships of the cycle. Uh, the fact that it's extra spicy with kind of like n- no points kind of carried in makes it a bit bit more interesting. But um, I don't think any change is going to happen because the powerhouse teams really don't, the powerhouse countries really don't like this, right? They don't, they don't want to spend $10 million on a curling quad for, on a program for a curling cycle and have one pick stone potentially knock it away, right? Which definitely could happen here.
1: Yeah, I know I'm definitely more interested watching the men's tournament a couple days in, knowing that you've got to be in the top six or else you have to go to the Olympic qualifier. Uh, and yeah, I think it would be I think it would be interesting if you said, okay, the two the two worlds leading into the Olympics, you've you're guaranteed a spot.
0: Uh, I mean, that's kind of the Canada Cup kind of going out of the Canadian Olympic trials format, right? So I I think this is a slightly different thing um and so i don't think it's going to happen i'd be surprised if it happened just because one of the things that the wcf really wants to reward is consistency over a cycle and so they don't want a country that gets hot to kind of nip a berth and knock out one of their powerhouse teams they really want part of this is for the tv package right you don't want Mm -hmm. team can they don't want team canada or or sweden or switzerland missing the olympics because that would be not great for the Olympic
1: package. Okay, for this event, we saw Scotland go from sending the winner of its national championship to a selection process. Going forward, you're probably going to see the number of teams who win their way to Worlds be greatly outnumbered by teams who were selected by committee. In fact, when you consider the process in the U.S. and Switzerland, really the only two countries where conceivably, anyone in that country could go to worlds. You're basically down to just Canada and Japan. Uh, So Jonathan, did COVID-19 and the situation where now we have no season leading up to a, a world championship that's a glorified Olympic qualifier to determine more than half of the available Olympic spots, did that situation expedite the professionalization of curling?
0: Maybe. I think, I don't know if it's going to come down to a straight-up selection by committee process. I think what we saw is that when people have to sit down and make a selection, they're going to select off order of merit points. And to be honest, today, the only way a team could accumulate enough order of merit points to qualify for Worlds in most countries is if they're funded and able to play a full season. So, And by a full season, I mean... They're paid to train full-time. They're paid to kind of uh, go on tour and play 10 to 14 events a year. And that's simply not possible for someone with a job. I think that what, I think the bigger question and issue that's going to come down the pipes is what happens in Canada, right? Because I I think the, we see a lot of this with the debates over formats, but what I think is actually behind the debates over formats is Basically, five or six teams are able to be full-time professionals in Canada, and then there's a bunch of teams that would like to get to that status, but the, the, ga- the gap's large and getting larger. And so I think there, that's over. What happens in the U.S., I'm not sure, because I don't know – it's not clear to me how many professional teams the U.S. can support yet. Right. And I think the, I think in a certain sense, the culture is very similar to Canada where there's a strong preference for playdowns and national championships and being decided on the ice. But, um, and there's, it's not really clear if there's fun, if there's money and funding available to run a professional, professional model. And actually some of what, uh, in our conversation with Jeff from a uh, USA curling, uh, the USA curling CEO, um, intimated is that he's very much a believer in kind of growing up through the grassroots. I don't think the grassroots kind of pipeline is going to go away. How that funnels into selecting a national team might be different, and I think things are definitely changing, but um, I'm not sure if it'll be selection by committee straight up.
1: Okay, Jonathan, I basically gave you the two teams I'm most interested in watching, which is, to me, it's Japan and the U.S., uh, who are you most interested in watching? What's the most interesting team to you in this event? Who are you excited to watch during during Women's Worlds?
0: I want to watch Hasselberg because they're fun. I want to watch Team GB or Team Scotland. Because, spoiler alert, Eve Muirhead's going to be selected as Team GB. So that'll be interesting to see. Uh, I am curious about China. So we haven't really had mm-hmm. much chance to watch them yet. I'm curious to see what standard they're at and kind of get a sense of, will they be a metal threat at the Olympics? Um, so I think those would be my three to watch for sure.
1: Yeah. I'd probably add Korea and Estonia to that list as well, as far as teams that I'm, I'm pumped to to see their first game, uh, especially Estonia with it being their, their first trip to a world. It's awesome to see another team get, get a world's under its belt.
0: Yeah. And I think actually to see Team Kim come back, I think I'm curious to see what the layoff has done. Like I would I would like because they I feel like they were robbed of like normally you win a medal at the Olympics and the next cycle is kind of where you make your money and your your name as a team. And they've been robbed of that. And I'm hoping they get a good performance in here and we get to kind of see them come back to their their old form.
1: Yeah, it's gonna be fun going down the list of teams. There really there is not a single team where I'm just like, ah, that team's on. I'm not really gonna watch this game. There's not a single team like that in this whole 14 team field. So I'm pumped. Like I said, I love this tournament. I'm ready for it to get rolling.
0: Yeah, and I, I think the fact that there's, as we said, eight legit threats for the medal round, and only six teams get to go to the playoffs and then to the Olympics, means we're going to be surprised by some teams on the outside looking at the end of this week.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. It's going to be fun. We will. uh, Thanks everybody for listening and we will talk to you again real soon. Thank you for listening to rocks across the pond, a curling podcast. If you enjoyed this show, we ask you to please leave a review or tell a friend about us. Your referrals to friends and family are the greatest compliment we can receive and is what allows our show to grow and share our love of this great game. You can find all of our past shows and blog posts at rocksacrossthepond.com. If you have a question or comment, you can reach us at rocksacrossthepond at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to us, and we will talk to you again real soon.